0: Thanks Ben. Hello church. It is great to be with each other on this Sunday morning. Here we are again. We're in lockdown, but God is faithful. God is good uh, and God is in our midst. Where two or more are gathered, He promises to be in our presence uh, and we are gathered. We might not be in person, um, but we are together as church family this morning. Hey listen, I want to just say a couple of things before we get into the Word. First and foremost, I want to thank our team who has made this happen today. Uh, All of them have just uh, gone above and beyond. So if we can please, you know, thank them. Maybe you want to send them a text message, flick them an email. I don't know what it is, but I want to offer my thank you to our incredible team of volunteers and also staff who enable us to get church online together. Um, Stick around after the message. As Ben has said, we're going to be Zooming and we're going to be doing communion together in that time. So please don't just turn off after the sermon. Jump on board the Zoom chat. Jump on board the groups and let's pray together. Let's seek God together. Let's commune together as we give God our praise. And how good that we can sing. We might not be gathering in a big group, but we're in our homes Lifting up our voices, giving God the shout of praise that He deserves. So we praise Him for that. We're in uh, Lamentations 3 this morning. God's put a word on my heart. And a part of that is just an encouragement to, to not check out this morning that God, uh, God's Spirit is not limited to the four walls of a sanctuary. His, His Spirit, in our case, is not limited to the four walls of, uh, of the gym. But God his word is alive and active it's sharper than a two-edged sword it's able to penetrate dividing soul and spirit it's able to penetrate through a camera to our hearts and souls and I'm believing that God has a word of encouragement for you right where you're at whatever it is that you're going through whatever emotions you're feeling in this lockdown season whether they're positive whether you're struggling with your mental health I don't know what's going on in your world but I do know that God is true. God is faithful and God is going to speak and encourage, uh, speak to us and encourage us today. So wherever you are, stand to your feet. We stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to go to Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to pick it up from verse 19. Lamentations 3 verse 19. I'm reading from the NIV version. It says this, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall, I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. Somebody say hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How many of you are grateful for God's great faithfulness? I say to myself, The Lord is my portion, therefore I wait for him. Why don't you pray with me? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you long to speak to your children. God, I just ask that you would take this word, take my uh, mouth and speak, Father God. May I get out of the road and may by your spirit, your mercy and your grace, may you bring a powerful word that impacts our lives encourages us, spurs us on uh, and uh, reminds us of who you are, who you always have been and who you always will be. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. In the precious name of Jesus and all God's children said, Amen. Hallelujah. I want to speak to you this morning uh, on the title of Remembering Hope. Remembering Hope don't forget who's got you. As we come to the book of Lamentations, I uh, had the opportunity to to share a version of this at our Allgate campus a few weeks ago, but the Lord just said, I'm not done with it. There's there's a different word in this passage for my people at Verdun. And um, as I sat in this and I started thinking about the context of where this was written, many scholars will say that it's Jeremiah who wrote this book and Jeremiah's writing this in the context of Jerusalem having just been overthrown by by the great city of Babylon, by King Nebuchadnezzar, the king that we studied as a church not too long ago, beginning of this year in the book of Daniel. Uh, and Jeremiah is, is looking upon his great city, the city that he loves, the people that he loves. He's looking at this city of Jerusalem, the people of God that has been utterly destroyed. It's post 586, 587 BC. And the city lies in ruins. The walls have been torn down. The temple has been destroyed. The leaders have been bound up and exiled. Uh, Women have been murdered. Men have been murdered. Children have been murdered. The city is in in a, a state of utter desolation. And the great prophet, the weeping prophet, the poet, Jeremiah sits down and he pens these incredible words, the book of Lamentations. And for a little bit of context for you uh, who uh, maybe don't know the Bible history as well as others is that Lamentations is actually a poem. It's five chapters uh, and the first two chapters are 22 verses and it's written like an acrostic poem. It's written uh, with uh, each verse beginning with the, the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So in our context, it's like the verse one starting with A, verse two, B, C and so on. So chapters one and two are those 22 verses, 22 verses. Chapter four and five, 22 verses, 22 verses. But chapter uh, three is different. Chapter three is 66 verses. And in our context, again, it would be the first three verses, each start with the letter A, A, A. And then the next ones, B, 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 C, C, C and so on. 66 verses. And the reason that chapter 3 is different from one, two, four, and 5 is that because the author wants us to see something in these pages that are so important. There's something in the middle of a lament as Jeremiah is breaking down and as he's weeping over the city and the people of God and he's seeing all the destruction and depravity. His heart is broken and his soul is downcast and everything seems to be going wrong. And in the middle of this lament, in the middle of this poem, he pens a chapter that right in the middle of it are these words, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. What brings the prophet? What brings this beautiful poet, the weeping prophetic poet? What brings him hope in the midst of a helpless situation? And do you know what? It's not actually a miraculous sign. It's not a great move of God that overthrows Nebuchadnezzar in that moment and and miraculously rebuilds the walls. No, it's none of that. Actually, the thing that brings Jeremiah hope is a memory. And it it triggered for me a moment a couple of weeks ago when I was working with my son Benji on some mathematics. And as we were working through this math, Benji had a moment where it was all a bit too hard and we were on the iPad and he threw the iPad down and he burst into tears and he said, I can't do this. I'm just, I'm failing at this. This is too hard. And I thought, this is a great dad moment. This is an opportunity for me to speak some, you know, life into him and encourage him and inspire him and get get my little preach on. So I got up there and I said, Benji, look at that light up there. You see that light bulb? You know the man who invented that failed 999 times in trying to invent that his name was Thomas Edison and a day came when a journalist uh, met with him and asked him the question Thomas what does it feel like to fail 999 times what does it feel like to fail over and over again and he paused and he looked at the journalist and he said I have not failed I have figured out 999 ways a light bulb will not work. And I said to Benji, mate, that's what you're doing right now. You're not failing. This isn't too hard. You're learning, you're figuring out how numbers work. And I thought that was an awesome speech. I thought, man, if that doesn't inspire him and charge him up to go the next level, whatever will. And in that moment, he looks at me with tears in his eyes and he goes, yeah, but dad, That's just a light bulb. This is numbers. Don't you know how hard numbers are? And in that moment, uh, Joe was in the kitchen and and she just went, what? She sort of turned around and walked up to her and said, Benji, are you trying to tell me that inventing electricity is easier than adding single digit numbers together? And then she paused and then she thought, nah, I'm gonna dive in a little bit more. And she said, Benji, do you know what? I've learned how to do it. Dad's learned how to do it. Bailey's learned how to do it. Mabel's learned how to do it. Guess what? So will you. Keep trying. And so in that moment, instead of crying and losing the plot, which is what I thought he would do because he did it for my inspirational speech, Benj actually just jumped straight back up to the table, picked up his maths and went back to work. And I realised something in that moment. That sometimes when we're standing at the foot of a a mountain that seems insurmountable, when we're standing at the foot of something which seems so difficult and, and so far out of our reach to achieve, sometimes in those moments, what we need is not the inspirational rev up, but a reminder. And the same is true with God and with faith. Sometimes in life, We don't need the big uh, spiritual rev up. What we need is a reminder that God is faithful and true, that He has done it before and He's gonna do it again. That whatever this mountain is that you're facing right now in your life, as we face lockdown, guess what? God is not surprised by this. God is not uh, overawed by this. God is building His church and the promise is that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Come on, someone at home. The gates of hell are not gonna prevail against the church of God. God wins the day. God will always wins the day. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And we need to remind ourselves of that. And as we do, as we remind ourselves of who He is, and what he's done and what his promises are to his people, guess what? It's gonna bring you hope. Just like with Benji, just being reminded of the fact that actually there's been plenty of people who have gone before him, who have faced this mountain, faced this challenge and come out the other side and it caused him to get back up to the table and get on with the challenge for you, for me, for all of us as we gather, guess what? God is faithful, God is true. And He's calling us to keep getting up and keep running the race. This is what he does for Jeremiah. This is what he does for the people of Jerusalem. And this word was not just for them. This word is that prophetic word that speaks through all time and all space. And it lands right here in your living room, speaking straight to you saying, hey, 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 this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. What does he call to mind? What is he remembering in the face of such destruction, in the face of such difficulty? What does he call to mind? Friends, I'm going to bring four Hebrew words to you this morning that you're going to grab and God's going to speak. The first one is this He says, This I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Verse 22 Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. You know, that word great loved is a Hebrew word, chesed. Everyone say chesed. And what it means is unfailing, unmerited favour. Some, some uh, translations will translate great love, the chesed here, they'll actually translate it mercies. Because of God's unfailing mercy, because of, uh, if, it, if it was written in Greek, it would be agape. Because of His grace, because of uh, Him pouring out this beautiful love to His people, we are not Consumed In the face of difficulty, in the face of tragedy, in the face of trial, there is a a, a word for us that has been true from the beginning of time that we serve a God who is full of chesed, a God who is steadfast in His love, a God who is unfailing in His mercy. And because of that, we are not consumed. Do you know, the vaccine is not the thing that brings us salvation. It's uh, your job is not the thing that brings you salvation. Your income is not the thing that's gonna bring you salvation. The number of friends you have is not gonna bring you salvation. The number of followers you have on your social media account is not gonna bring you salvation. No, there's only one thing that redeems. There's only one thing that saves. There's only one thing that prevails. There's only one reason you're still here. One reason you're breathing. One reason that you have hope. And that is because of the Lord's unfailing love. Because of His Hesed. that is why we are not consumed. That's why you're here today. That is why the sun rises in the morning and sets at night. That is why we can have hope because of who He is, His character, His hesed, His love for His people. You know, in this moment, Jeremiah reminds himself of the character of God. And it's fascinating because he actually links it all the way back to Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, it's it's known as this passage of God's great self-revelation to Israel. And in that passage, he says the exact same phrase. He says that he is the Lord of Hesed. And so what Jeremiah is doing here is he's going back in time. And he's remembering Moses and he's remembering how God is the God who brought Israel out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. What a promise. What a thing to hold fast. That God is true to his word. Yes, he's the God of Hesed. He's remembering Jacob. He's remembering Abraham. He's remembering King David. He's remembering Solomon. He's remembering Ruth. He's remembering Deborah. He's remembering God's Hesed through time and space. And he's saying, Yeah, that's who my God is. And I wonder today if you need to do the same. I wonder today if you need to look to your left or to your right and actually see people who have a testimony of God's Hesed on their life. Someone who can passion and boldly declare that I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve God's grace. I don't deserve God's unmerited favour on my life. But when you see them, you see the mercies of God that are new every morning and you can get back up and you can keep pressing on in faith. Amen. God is a God of hesed. Number two, He says, Because of this, I am not consumed for His compassions never fail. Compassions here is a fascinating word. It is the word rakum. And that word is actually the plural word that we would translate womb. It's this fascinating picture that God is a God whose compassions never fail. That God is a God uh, who enwombs His people. And the really interesting thing is that word "rakum" is actually a masculine noun. Now, some of you missed it. How can you have a masculine womb? How can you have a masculine womb? It's this beautiful picture, friends, of the true nature of God. This beautiful picture that God is not Gender, God is spirit, but actually it's this picture for us that God is the God of the impossible. That when things seem so unlikely, as Jeremiah stood there surveying the scene of Jerusalem and the utter destruction and helplessness of that place, there is no way that you could ever envisage that they could ever be redeemed. And yet he says, I'm gonna call on the the character of my God. And part of that character is that He's the God of the impossible. He's the God who in wombs us. The womb is the place of protection. The womb is the place of nourishment. The womb is the place of growth. Friends, it's like a cocoon. It's like you, you go in, you actually enter into these difficult circumstances, and in the midst of this, God is rewriting our story. In the midst of these difficulties, God is growing us. God is nurturing us. This is God's, in, in some ways, a season of God's discipline. That God would actually use the surrounds and use our circumstance, use the trials that we face not because He is absent from them, but because He is in them and He is growing us and He is nurturing us and He is developing us and He is bringing about in us a more Christ-like character. May that be true of us, that this season of trial causes us to reflect upon His chesed, to reflect upon His rakum and to know that He is not absent, but that He is present and that He is intimately invested in our lives, that He sees us, He sees you. He knows where you are, what you're going through. You can never escape His presence. You can never flee it, Psalm 139. You cannot run from His presence. God sees you, He is with you, He is holding you in the midst of everything you're going through. Because of that, we're not consumed. And that word consumed is actually a really interesting word too, because what it means is It's over. It means the end. And again, there's this picture here that because of God's great love, because of God's character of Chesed and Rakum, this compassion, this merciful, wonderful God, our story is not over. Even for Jeremiah, even for the people of Israel, the people of Judah, in the midst of that, he's saying it's not over you're not finished, the story's not written, you will come out of this womb, you will come out of this place and I am going to bring about glory for my name for all of eternity. I'm gonna use this situation to create a people who are passionately pursuing my presence for the glory of the Son. The great love of the Lord, the compassion of the Lord. And then he comes to this point where he says, the compassions never fail, that holding of his people never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow, that just makes me think of the old hymn. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. They are new every morning. How good that God's mercies never go stale. How good that God's mercies never run dry. Every single morning, there they are waiting for you, fresh and new. Hallelujah, church. Hallelujah. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. That word there is this word MF. And what it means is is, uh, true. Actually, a really great illustration is the idea of a plumb line. That actually, it is, it is tried and true. It's unwavering. It does not bend to the left or to the right. It does not um, twist or turn. It, it, is, it, is, it is tested. It is true. It is trustworthy. It's not going to shake. It's not going to break. How good of the Lord's great love for his people. We can trust it. Friends, our world is changing all the time, even just this week. How many different uh, messages have we had? How many times has the restrictions changed? How many times has life thrown curveballs? It does it over and over again. We live in a world of constant change. We live in a world of, of the unexpected, yet there is one thing that will never change and that is the character and the mercy of God. That is God's faithfulness. We can be sure that when we rise in the morning, God's mercies are right there waiting for us as they were the day before, as they were the day before that, as they will be tomorrow and they will be until the day the Lord calls me home. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy MF. God is true and trustworthy. And this is what Jeremiah holds on to. He comes to the character of God. He comes to the mercy of God, the love of God, the compassion of God. He says, this is who He is, friends. This is who He is. And it's unchanging. And because of that, I have hope. My hope is built in nothing less than the character and the mercy of God. And friends, this is where we come and we land at the person of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the promise, because this passage is more than just a a poem for the people of Judah in 580 BC. No, 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 this is so much more. This is a prophetic word to humanity. It's a word declaring that God is true to his promise. And as he promised to Abraham that Abraham's seed would be a blessing to all the nations, as he promised throughout the scriptures in the book of Isaiah that he's going to send his Messiah, as he promised over and over again of his faithfulness, we land at the person of Jesus. And what does Jesus say of himself? He tells us that he is true. He is faithful and He is true. Go to the book of Revelation. Revelation 19, He says, I am the faithful and true witness. Revelation 21, He says, I am faithful and true. Revelation 22, I am faithful and true. Revelation 8, I am faithful and true. It's the same words. This is who Jesus is. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. You can trust Him when everything else is moving, everything else is twisting, everything else is, is untrustworthy and it feels like shaking sets. No, 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 build your house upon the rock. Because those who build their house upon the rock, when the winds blow and the storms come and the sands begin to shift, everything will be exposed for what it is, and the rock will remain. And Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock. He's the rock on which the church is built. The salvation, the, the mercy, the the chesed, the rakum, the ameth of God is Jesus Christ. He is these things. And because of that, we 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 come to him and we, we fall on our knees before him, we give him our worship, we give him our lives and we say, yes, Lord, you're the one who brings me hope. Everything else will fall away and yet he will remain. Because of that, when we call that to mind, we have hope. And there's just one last thing I want to point us to before we close and I invite the guys back up to lead us in our Next section, and this is verse 24. I say to myself, in light of this, in light of what I've called to mind, in light of the memory of the character of God, he says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for Him. Therefore, I will wait for Him. That word wait is the Hebrew word, yehel, And that word means not just to wait uh, Randomly, not just to wait like you're sitting at a bus stop, just passing time, uh, flicking through your phone, checking the news. No, no, it means to wait expectantly. It means to wait expectantly, to actually have our eyes fixed upon Him, to long for Him. And I love because the Lord is my portion, because of His unfailing love, because of His compassion, because of His faithfulness because I know I can trust Him. Do you know what it causes me to do? It causes me to wait on Him. It causes me to fall upon my knees in prayer. It causes me to come to His His great and precious promises in the light of difficulties and say, I will wait upon the Lord. I will wait expectantly for His deliverance. I will wait expectantly for His return at the end of all time. I will wait expectantly for Him to move in my circumstance. I will wait expectantly for opportunities to come to speak truth and to speak life and to speak hope to the world around me. I will wait upon the Lord. Friends, here's here's the shout, here's, here's the push. What would it look like for the church to truly wait upon the Lord? What would it look like for us to say, the Lord is my portion? What would it look like for us to actually say, no, 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 nothing else is my portion. Portion means enough. Portion is this picture of the fact that, hey, hey, that's, that's all I need. That's what the portion means. The Lord is my portion. His faithfulness, His mercy, His compassion. It is enough for me. It is what I need to get me through. And because of that, I will wait on Him. Do we believe the Lord is our portion or are we constantly looking for everything else to fill our cup? What is your portion? What are you looking for to fill the void? Everything else will fail you. Only God will sustain you. He is our portion. And because of that, when we realise that, then we will wait upon Him. What would it look like for the church to wait upon the Lord? What would it look like for the church to come and genuinely seek first the kingdom of God, knowing that everything else will be added unto us? What would it look like if we took our eyes off of social media and fixed them on Christ? What would it look like if we took our eyes off of opportunity for God for, for Promotion and fix them on Christ? What would it look like if we took our eyes off striving and fixed them on Christ? What would it look like if we took our eyes off the bad news and we fixed them on Christ? What would it look like if we took our eyes off the storm and put them on the Saviour? We would have hope. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what's going on in your world. But friends, my prayer for you, my prayer for all of us is that we would uh, enter this next season of life with great hope. I know for me, just coming back to this passage again this week in light of everything happening, particularly in our church, this has brought me such hope. This has filled my cup because God is faithful, because of the Lord's unfailing love. We are not consumed. His compassions are there for us. They never fail us. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Friends, I'd love to pray for you. Wherever you're at, would you stand to your feet and let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercies. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for your compassions. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are trustworthy and true and so, Lord, as we, as we go now into our week, I pray that we go trusting in the faithfulness of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God who came and did not forsake his people, but came and hung on a cross, who died and rose again, that we might have hope. Amen. Friends, go in hope. Love you. Can't wait. Hopefully we're seeing you again next week in person, praying for you. uh, And we look forward to seeing you on the Zoom stream in a minute. Bless you. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.